and you deal with life's events, changes, traumas, all of those sorts of things based on kind of coming from that already um, kind of defined place. And what we do over time is put ourselves into a box to kind of protect ourselves. And so the goal of when you learn your type in the Enneagram is like, learn about the box that you put yourself into and like how to crawl back out of it Mm. and for an eight which is my type it's literally like reconnecting with your inner child let's dig through the mud together we're so glad you're here join us here each week for mud Hi loves, welcome to Mudlark. I'm your host, Danny Boltz, and I started this podcast because I believe that our stories are what connect us, especially the darker, more challenging parts of them. The times in my life where I felt the most deeply connected and okay are within those moments of truth-speaking and ruthless vulnerability with another person. Here we talk about topics surrounding inner child, addiction, friendship, love, sex, creativity, connection, community. Really, this is the place where we talk about all the things, especially the things that are sometimes just simply hard to talk about. I'm not here to bring you big names, you guys. I'm here to bring you big topics. And now it's time for us to dig through the mud together. Let's go. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to the show. So happy you're here. Always so happy you're here. I am having a very soft, cozy day today. It's Sunday and the day after the astrology workshop and I'm just letting myself be so snuggled in. My cousin Afton, she just left and we spent like an hour and a half just snuggled on the couch drinking hot chocolate and it's just like this foggy, cozy day. I love it. The fog always, for some reason, just feels very quiet to me. And it just always helps me really allow myself to go in inward and just be slow. So I'm really enjoying my day. I wanted to just fill you guys in a little bit on how the event went last night. This was the Astrology Integration and Unlocking Your Inner Child workshop that I led with Courtney Santoro. It was so magical and the first workshop I've ever led that felt so easy. There were 18 people and we completely sold out. That was the number I was hoping we'd get and we did last minute. We just, a few more registrants rolled in and I just can't explain to you guys like how great it was and how we just attracted in a really awesome group and we all just really had a good time. I I can't even get into like the details of it because it was just so simple and sweet. And we, we moved our bodies. We did the yoga. We were vulnerable. We learned a lot about astrology and about our own charts and learned about each other. And yeah, I just left feeling really good, really aligned, really balanced and 
now my voice is kind of scratchy. I don't know if you guys can hear that in my voice, but it was a very full week, full week prepping for the workshop and also like back to back, like two days in a row of markets. We were selling our wooden goods, honeysuckle and mud, uh, my home goods business that I run with my husband. Um, yeah, it was just so much, so much going on, but so fun. We're kind of gearing up for holiday season right now and also just like getting ready to head back to the Montana house where we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving like a week early. So we'll leave like this coming, not this coming week, but the week after. So it's like work our asses off so then we can just fully relax for a week while we're there. Um, But I want to get into today's episode. I had the most incredible conversation with Cassie Knabel. She is a nutritional therapist, a podcast host. She has an amazing podcast. It's called Rebel Heart Radio. I was on that podcast a few months back. I'll link it in the show notes. We talked all things manifestation, intuition. It was really, really good. I freaking love it. Maybe I'll even share that episode on here eventually. I'll see if she'll let me do that. But yeah, she's just incredible. We met, uh, and you'll hear in the episode a little bit of how we met, but she was one of my students coming to a class that I was like auditioning to be the teacher of, (laughs) which was really random, but it was just the best place to meet her. And we've just really connected. We've connected over uh, vulnerability and just like kind of like the topic of vulnerability. Vulnerability does not come easy for her. And she kind of links that to being an Enneagram 8. We talked a lot about the Enneagram in this episode. We talked about how Cassie met her husband at a middle school dance. We talked about how she really had to grow up super fast. And this has to do with a lot of different things. But partly, I mean, her dad wasn't able to support the family. He was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes when she was really young and he died when she was really young and we go into all of that. I'm so excited for you guys to get to hear Cassie's powerful story. She is just such a wonderful human and I feel honored to have her on the show. So without further ado, let's move on to my conversation with Cassie. I'll see you on the other side. Yeah. It's my jam. It's my jam. It's yeah. my jam. Well, I love to just start the show out with you just talking about who you are and kind of where you're from. What was your, what were you like as a kid? Just kind of all, all. Oh God. Do you have two hours? Yeah. No. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. You're like, it's fine. Um, I, my name is Cassie Knabel. <laughs> Hello. Um, I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. Um, by trade. And then I also um, work with a company called Beauty Counter. So it's kind of what I do, you know, somewhere in the realm of health and wellness and nutrition Mm -hmm. and just try to share kind of doable resources with people where they can change their lives in little ways and let those little ways compound. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the energy flow that I have around business these days. And um, who am I? Um, I'm a mama. Mm-hmm. I'm a wife, um, and my son is three and a half. He's gonna be four in December, and he's the most beautiful little boy I've ever seen. Yes, and it's... we affectionately call him G on all <laughs> media platforms yeah. to protect his um, beautiful self. 
Baby G. Yeah, Baby G. He's not a baby anymore. No, he's not. The other day he came up to me and he said, Mom, this is just phenomenal. No, he did not say that. (laughs) Did you die? I, you know, I just stopped dying when I hear stuff like that because it's, it happens so often. He's so smart. And I just, he's smart, but I think it's also just a process of not dumbing down your language around your child. Absolutely. Which is hard to do because like there's a certain balance between kind of getting on their level and then letting them kind of rise to you as well. Right. But, um, yeah, I just, we just just let the parenting thing kind of flow with who we really are. And I'm just not someone who can kind of enter that squishy I know mom space yeah you talk to him like he's a human yeah because he is yeah because it turns out he is so anyways I'm a mama uh I'm a wife Mm -hmm. um my husband and I Josh we've been married for um 14 years 14 and a half it's a long time crazy and together for 17 and a half I just like that's so hard for me to even believe because you're so young. I'm 33. Yeah, yeah, we were babes. Babies. Babies. And how did you guys meet? We met in at a middle school dance. Oh, dreams. <laughs> Ugh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> this is where like everyone's going to learn that I have a squishy side to me, but yeah. it's 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 pretty. It's in there. It's, it's just pretty. buried a little bit. <laughs> buried a lot. <laughs> and I... I'm not one to be like super gushy and lovey-dovey, mm. um, except with like my very core group of people. And then I'm just like a puddle. Right. But which is my kid and my husband and a few other people <laughs> I have in my pocket. But uh, yeah, I people joke about how we're high school sweethearts. And every time I just and you're like, like, like you want to barf, <laughs> cringe a little bit. Yeah. Cause it's just so weird. Like, I mean, it's just, it, we're so young at that yeah, age. I mean, and-, and I was someone who had set out this path for myself mm-hmm. that was, um, I'm not going to let a man hold me back. And not that my husband holds me back, but it's a, you know, getting married young is a life choice that changes the trajectory of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes some adjusting to, and that takes time. And you have a little, bit more of a complication as far as you know dictating what your next move is that's something it becomes a we action instead of a me action and so that was a big adjustment for me because I'm such an independent person and so because I'm so independent I didn't expect to find another human to partner with so early on in life yeah but when I found him like it was during such a dark and difficult time for me mm-hmm. that I was just kind of cracked wide open anyway. Yeah. And so he was just like, cool, I'm just going to sneak. He just fit right in. going to sneak right in there. And yeah. it really caught me by surprise and obviously like fell in love super young. Yeah. And um, man, we were like really in love. Mm. Still are. But it was just caught me by surprise. I thought I was going to be a 35-year-old PhD CEO who yeah. didn't have a husband yet. Right, totally. Or maybe never having children. And so now with, I'm a young married person who has a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and like with that independence, like that fear of kind of like not having that or maybe being like tied down, did you experience that right away? Or was it kind of like later in your marriage? Or Yeah, I mean, I definitely took some moves in the early part of our relationship before we got married. Mm-hmm. that were at least sending a clear signal to him that were like, hey, do not try to hold me down. Right. If you go ahead and try, you're out. Yeah, totally. 
And so he just kind of learned early on, like, okay, I got to be along for the ride. And I love this woman. And so, you know, he is a bit of an anchor in the sense that he always kind of grounds me and reminds me like, well, you need to consider this. And what about this? Pat? And he will dig into Enneagram stuff, but he's an Enneagram nine, which is like the peacemaker. Same as my and husband. So they're, <laughs> they're always looking for how do we smooth this out? Yeah. What are the... 8,000 different ways this can go and how do we prepare ourselves <laughs> right for all of them yeah and I'm like no just jump like just go just what go I like what are you waiting for you'll figure it out as you go we always have we always will mm-hmm. and so he's a good grounding factor for me and I'm a good like let's just like float over here yes. and over here and do it's these like, things don't you just feel that like thank god that you have a nine like I feel that high's a nine also and it's like it can be so frustrating sometimes because I'm like live a little I'm like come on <laughs> like we don't have to we don't have to think about everything like just go and but it is good like he always mm. makes me like respond more than just react I guess he helps me to like think things out a little more yes yeah a hundred percent and for those of you who are unfamiliar with Enneagram we have an episode I have a podcast as well I (laughs) I didn't mention that in my spiel but we have a podcast called uh, Rebel Heart Radio my friend Genevieve who is an esthetician and a makeup artist and so much more just an incredible human being Mm. Um, and we do personal development and beauty and skincare and wellness and all sorts of things in that space but um we have an episode on the Enneagram, which I'll shoot yeah. you the link and you can throw it in the show notes so we don't have to do like a primer on the Enneagram. Yeah, totally. But basically within the Enneagram, I'm an eight, yeah. which is the challenger. Mm-hmm. My husband is the peacemaker, which like <laughs> nothing is really opposite. There's yeah. a lot of similarities there. And when you have your Enneagram type, you have a wing as well. Mm-hmm. And technically we can employ each wing that we have but your wing is on either side of your number and so I'm actually an eight wing nine so we actually meet in a lot of ways yeah in terms of how we approach is he a wing eight no wing one he's a wing one okay that's what I thought and one is the perfectionist oh okay and so it comes into this place where anything that has to do with like rightness Mm. justice social justice like we are intermeshed in that in a huge way and I think that's one of the things that had us really connecting when we were kids. I mean, we we're kids, really. Right. And so, like, to answer your previous question, I feel like we're going to keep doing this the whole yeah, time. It's totally. Like, Did we answer that? No, yeah. we didn't. <laughs> um, I I really set up a few <laughs> experiences inadvertently to tell Josh that I could, like, take him or leave him. Right. And it's a it's a just a natural thing for me to have a hard time letting people in because of my childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. And so with him, I was like, we kind of went all in really fast. And then I was like, whoa, 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 honey. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. And when we went to college, so we got together kind of summer between our sophomore and junior year of high school, which is crazy. And spent that two, those two years being like really deeply in love and pretty serious about it I mean like I'm not someone who fucks around when it comes to yeah relationships I jump into intensity and he really proved himself as a trustworthy person to me really early on mm. and so it's just been something that I really leaned into that and was able to trust him so early that we built a really strong connection from a very young age yeah. uh, and when we went to college I basically was like hey you're not following me to school. We're going to separate schools. Wow. 
and I'm going to live my life and we'll still be together. I don't, I want to be with you. Trust me. But you, there's the leash is long. Like, yeah. don't call me every day. Do not text me. Like, actually, there was no texting back then. Yeah. <laughs> back in the day. I'm like, there. wait, 2005, <laughs> 2004. Um, and I just, I set some pretty hard and fast boundaries. Yeah. And I don't know why. Mm. I just... I think my my motivation in the moment was I want to have a real college experience and I don't want our relationship to to muddy that. I want it to be like an added blessing on top of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I needed him to be in a place where he knew if I was going hard for goals, going hard for school and my priorities were in a certain order that he kind of knew his place in those priorities and yeah. not that he couldn't be number one, right. but that there was like the competition for number one with almost achievement, wow. which we've since kind of changed and ironed out. Yeah. But, and then when we, when we were in undergrad and we got married after our freshman year, so he actually, <laughs> we started school in like August and he proposed in November. <laughs> and so it wasn't like we weren't engaged our entire first year of college anyway, which everybody thought we were crazy. They're like, what are you doing? Which I love. I'm like, I'm yeah. doing what I, what I want. Yeah. Um, you know, and we had some, so much judgment from the people around us and it's kind of odd. Like I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a, a quote unquote Christian. I hate religion, love people and relationships and, and all of that. And even in our very conservative community, I had lots of people around me being like, you're too young to do this. You're like, what? I thought you liked this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I didn't, I didn't really care about that, but it, it was just an added kind of layer of being like, let me just go against the grain with this thing. Yeah. Let me just be the rebel yeah. in this moment. And that's kind of how I define myself Absolutely. for a really long time. It's just being the person who kind of like pushes against. Yeah. Um, and it turns out your podcast sorry rebel heart <laughs> I mean that was the first the first name that just fell out of my mouth wow and we went through 10,000 other different names I mean not really I'm totally exaggerating and yeah. being intense <laughs> which I always am <laughs> but I we just went through so many other names and and we I just kept coming back to that one in my mind and Genevieve was like okay I'm just gonna trust your intuition here yeah. and it's so we, good. We went with it. So it's so appropriate. We're total rebel hearts. Total rebel hearts. Yeah. Um, to back it up a little bit, I want to hear more of like where you came from. So oh like gosh. Okay. going back to what were you like as a kid? I, what was I like as a kid? How long was I a child? About 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, I had to grow up really early. Mm -hmm. I didn't, maybe I didn't have to. I, I did. I grew up early. Mm -hmm. Um, had a really kind of standard like lower middle class childhood um mostly on the like just financial struggles were just a really common thing in our family mm -hmm. my mom tried really hard to make a really safe landing place and home for us and it always was very emotionally stable um and even when like finances were horrible like we didn't necessarily know about it although I intuitively always knew you could feel it oh 100 yeah. percent and um you know I always felt some level of like responsibility in that area too mm. so I would like shore up my own spending when I was super little or not ask for things right um and not advocate for myself until I was able to mm. and all the while I mean 
my mom was, she worked in daycare and preschool. So when I was a kid, she's just always somebody who like really made it work. I mean, would work two, three, sometimes four jobs. Yeah. Working um, making not only like finances work, but life work. And so she was someone who was a really good early example for me of how to like opt out of the system and create a structure that worked for a way to her, for her to take care of her family. Um, And the only way we could afford childcare is if my mom was part of providing the childcare, but she also had to work. Mm. So we went to the daycare and she wasn't a preschool teacher when I was in preschool, but um, it was just one of those things where mom was like, the preschool teacher on the mountain. Yeah. And grew up in the Mount Hood area. Yeah. But- For those of you who don't know, Cassie and I, we grew up in the same town, really. I mean, yeah. you were in Welch's or? Brightwood. Yeah, Brightwood. And I was yeah. in Rhododendron, but yep. we were just, we're just enough apart that we missed each other in school. Um, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, we grew up in the same, same area. Yeah. It's crazy. Same school. Same I went school. to that daycare. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my mom was there Yeah, when you were there. Yeah. For sure. That's so weird. And so she found a way to to be there for us, um, but also snaggle some free child care and be yeah. able to kind of, um, you know, have a job as well, which was pretty incredible. And I didn't really see how, I don't know, strategic that was until later but there were so many little signs of that she's such a she's such a smart woman it's ridiculous when's your mom's birthday sorry just want to know february 28th wait so her sign what's her sign is oh she's a pisces yeah oh both are moms pisces yeah and i'm two days before her wow so that's right yeah um (laughs) and and i have a brother as well Mm -hmm. and so there's two of us and mom kind of just made everything function and work and my dad worked in the plastics industry like plastic production so like toolbox plastic toolboxes and toy pieces for like the so weird you know the um the the drawing magnetech is that what it was called like where you could draw on it oh not i'm like etch a sketch no No, etch a sketch for sure oh so they made they made components for things like that that is so bizarre so we would get some of those toys which was also like this really interesting way where we got to like still have nice parts of current culture yeah with within that piece um but we didn't have to like fully pay for them or whatever so it was really interesting um, it made me feel like I fit in a little bit more yeah. when I didn't ever feel like I fit did in. Did you feel like, um, like, did you feel like kind of like a poor kid? I know I did growing up on the mountain. I refused to acknowledge it. Yeah. I mean, I, everybody kind of was on the mountain anyway, or like lived really? in a kind of obscure off the grid sort of way, except for a few people. Like the golf course um, people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The golf course people. I was people, like so jealous sure. of them. I'm like, you, ha- you, ha- you smell good. Like, I, like, I, no. I didn't let a lot of friends over to my house. Mm. Um, we Same. lived in a shithole. Yeah. I mean, it was a clean shithole because clean my, shithole, my yeah. mom also was the type of person who was like, okay, if we have a shitty house, it's always going to be clean. And s- smell good. And yeah. Be nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not smell good. They smoked. Oh, in the house. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's not so ar- hard. around us, but for sure, in, like you it's embedded. It. It's embedded in the house. Yeah. Um. And it's. I mean, my mom's been done smoking for like four years now, wow. basically since my son was born. Good for her. Um. And it still lingers a little. 
but mm. it's so much better than it was. It's amazing how it sticks around. It sticks. It's like cat pee. Sorry, like that. No, smell, for real. It's so strong. It's terrible, and it's such a trigger. Such a trigger for me. Me too. Oh my gosh. It's because my mom smokes. Like she still does to this day, and yeah. it's like I get like. Even walking down the streets in Portland, if I like smell it, I'm like, that better not stick to my clothes. I, I get angry. Yeah. I I, I will know. I will pass someone in the city walking with a cigarette. Yeah. And if they're like close to my child, I literally turn around and will be like Go fuck Do yourself. You? No, I just say like, <laughs> is that really necessary? Yeah. Like can you go like yeah. at least move out of the way? You know, a lot of people who are smoking, when you pass them, they'll like take the long route around a light pole or you know at least like create some distance and I just get so frustrated with people who it's it's a social justice issue to me because I'm like hey I didn't fucking ask to be exposed to your secondhand smoke I know and unfortunately that's kind of how I treated my parents for many years same I did the same Um, thing and you know it's really funny when you're a kid you think that that's going to be effective like they'll quit smoking if you're an asshole about it like no no, it didn't. It didn't help. It just it right. just brings more guilt. Yeah, because right? they're already feeling guilty about it. Yes. So anyways, I grew up um, in a home of smokers. Yeah. Um, and that was also another thing where the finances came in. And I would always be like, like, how could you spend money on cigarettes if we're struggling to buy like groceries? Yeah. Or pay, or pay rent bill? or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And so we, I, we grew up with we didn't have much. Yeah. Um, but I had very expensive taste yeah. because of this need to kind of create this fortress of an image that was like, I fit in just fine. Yeah. And for me, I didn't care if I really fit in. Mm. I just wanted to not be handicapped. Yes. Or be look like you're, or look like you're not going to do well in life. Zero pity. Yes. I don't want any pity thrown away. If people yeah. like even... Even now, empathy feels like pity to me sometimes. Oh, I'm like, and I'm like, I don't want your fucking empathy. Like, you can take it and shove it. I don't want it. <laughs> the one way we're different. I'm like, please pity me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it's no. like, I, I, I do. I always feel so taken care of when people can like recognize or be like, oh, that must have been really hard. I'm like, it was really hard. <laughs> See, and if someone says, oh, that must have been really hard, I'm like, oh no, it was fine. You're like, like that was fine. Yeah, <laughs> it was fine. Yeah, even if it really was not fine. Right. right? Yeah. And so. Uh, a lot of walls built up as a child in terms mm-hmm. of just not allowing people to see the softer side of me, the vulnerable side of me. Right. And, and then, I mean, kind of fast forward, like we, I mean, we had kind of a traditional, like mom was home during the summer as much as possible. We had daycare. We saw her all the time. She was our primary care provider, obviously. Right. Um, my dad worked and worked full time up until I was about like 13. And then some health issues started to pop up for him. Yeah. Um, and actually, he got diagnosed with diabetes. I think I was like maybe 11 or 12. Mm. And there's a lot of type 2 diabetes in my dad's family, an extended family. Um, and type 2 is the kind that you, not the kind you're born with right or correct Correct. yeah so in type one you may or may not be born with but basically type two is some it's a lifestyle disease it's what happens after right um you know many many years of of poor habits around movement and food and all sorts of things and so your pancreas just kind of slowly shuts down over time Mm -hmm. whereas with type one you kind of have an episode where your pancreas is like shut off completely. Yeah. And so then you're very insulin dependent, whereas type two, you may have insulin dependence and you may not. Okay. And so that, that 
And it's all, there's also a genetic component to type two. So like some oh. people are more prone. Okay. But if you have the lifestyle stuff in check, then you won't get it necessarily. Gotcha. So um, that's like in a nutshell. Yeah. No, that's helpful. <laughs> if you want to geek out on health and wellness, you can come over to Always. Instagram or, yeah. or the podcast. Yeah. Um, but I, so he was diagnosed and it was like this kind of whirlwind around it where he went from, I think he was pretty deep into his diabetes when he actually got diagnosed. And I, I'm sure that had to do with just like lack of money and for like doctor appointments and and that kind of thing yeah um we never had dental insurance growing up we always had teeth issues because we didn't have good hygiene around that and lots of sugar and candy in the house and all sorts of things and my dad um basically like I mean I remember it's like super I'm so vivid like came home from school one day and my dad was like I'm done working and he was sitting on the couch and he like was taking his shoes off and it was like his last day of work. And he's like, I'm, I'm done working. I can't work anymore. Like done working forever. <clears throat> That's what he was saying. I don't, yeah, like giving up. Wow. Um, and my mom was already working two or three jobs to like oh my make, God. make things work. What did that feel like to hear him say that? Oh, massive betrayal. Yeah. Massive you're like, betrayal. what do you mean you're not going to work? I didn't. I mean, I was just like, okay, fuck you. Yeah. I'm out. So yeah. I really distanced myself from him at that point. And Bef- before stepped- that, sorry, no, I just wanted to go back a little, good. like before that, what was your relationship like with your Super dad? daddy's girl. Oh. And it wasn't, I mean, I would say it was a gradual kind of descent yeah. there as he got sicker, grumpier, more angry, more You're depressed. Like, Bye. Um, well, and he pushed me away too. Oh. It was, you know, and... When I was little, I could like sit on his lap and I would like watch. I don't even care about baseball. I would like sit there and watch baseball with just him. Just to be with him. Just to be with him. I just wanted to be with him. Um, and I was a very much so a daddy's girl mm. uh, growing up. And I liked, I liked the way he was a direct person. I liked the way he communicated. I just gravitated toward that naturally. He was. He's just a no BS, like very down to earth person. When when is it? Was <clears throat> his birthday? Oh, his birthday. Um, why can't I think of this right now? August 27th? No. 22nd or 27th? Do you I can't know remember. What 27th. His, his sign was? I just love 27th. To, the 27th of August? Was his birthday. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't know what his sign is. Oh, dang it. We'll look it up. I just want to know. I love knowing the dynamics. Yeah. So he, so I think it was a gradual kind yeah. of descent with him. Um, and my mom was very nurturing and I kind of rejected that a little bit. You're like, so Ugh. it's like too, <laughs> too much, too much. She, she stopped trying to help me. I can do everything myself. And I think all of that kind of naturally existed mm-hmm. in me anyway. And then it was just really reinforced with like this specific trauma that yeah. happened. And so when, you know, that whole moment happened, like I remember the couch he was sitting on. I remember what I was wearing. I don't have a lot of really crisp memories from childhood yeah. um, because I think I push a lot of them out. But this is one where I'm like, yep, I know the exact moment he said this to me. And it was impactful and scary. And I didn't actually see it. Like 
know I I still had that in my brain until like this last January wow. when I was um, listening to. So there's within the Enneagram, there's so many different like places you can go and resources and books and opinions and all sorts of philosophies and stuff like that. But it's basically a personality typing framework. But the argument behind it or the essence kind of behind it is that you were born your type and you deal with life's events, changes, traumas, all of those sorts of things based on kind of coming from that already um, kind of defined place. And what we do over time is put ourselves into a box to kind of protect ourselves. And so the goal of when you learn your type in the Enneagram is like, learn about the box that you put yourself into and like how to crawl back out of it. Mm. And for an eight, which is my type, it's literally like reconnecting with your inner child. And so there's a song for every Enneagram type. And the song that was for an eight just like wrecked my life. Oh my God. And it just cracked you open. Cracked me wide open. And so that's been like this whole last year. I'm just going to start crying. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This whole last year of like personal growth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't, I don't believe that like the Enneagram is the end all be all or astrology or, you know, it's all of these different things, but it kind of gave a name to my trauma and really allowed me to see like oh you did go through something there like there was something that happened that made you the way way you are growth Mm -hmm. and you know I don't I don't believe that like the Enneagram is the end-all be-all or astrology or you know it's all of these different things but it kind of gave a name to my trauma Mm. and really allowed me to see like oh you did go through something there like there was something that happened that made you the The way way you you are. are yeah and um explanation for things that I felt and saw that I didn't really know mm-hmm. um just why I am the way I am because when you operate in the world where you feel so different from everyone totally it gives you kind of this lease to say oh I belong but oh in my own way yeah um and here's why I might be seen this way or misunderstood life. Yeah. because I am like, they always say this about female eights specifically, mm. just constantly misinterpreted because, right. you know, women aren't allowed to be direct. Well, fuck that. I'm going to show up in this world and say, Hey, like, yeah, you are. Yeah. And let's own it. And I feel like we're seeing kind of obviously like a resurgence around that in just the women's movement and the me too, mo- all of these different, you know, places we're headed in culture wise and, you know, we can take a million steps back with Trump and I don't even want to go there, but right. <laughs> I, it's this really interesting kind of evolution where, you know, now women are allowed to be in that space, but only among other women. It's still, it, right. and even then a lot of my natural tendencies are off-putting to other women, mm. not necessarily to other men. I actually, oh. as a child, I had all of my best friends were guys. Yeah. All of my closest friends. They're like, she can hang. <laughs> I can hang. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I don't I'm not easily offended. Right. I don't think take things personally. They don't have to like walk on eggshells around no, you. No, no. Yeah. I'm not a highly emotional person as far as like I don't love drama. I don't I don't dip into that space. I don't really don't fucking have any space for that. No. No space at all, honey. <laughs> and so I um I I felt understood by guys Mm. and I I think that created a lot of like 
seeking poor attention from men at for a young sure. age for sure yeah um physical attention and yeah. you know like just being a tease like I was just a tease as a, oh, totally. as a young, young girl yeah because I didn't want to actually follow through yeah but I I wanted the attention yeah um, it makes sense and losing that like kind of father figure for me I think was a catalyst to that yeah. as well so to go if, back to your dad like then so you were when he like said that he's like I'm done working that was how old were you yeah and it was so it was so like nonchalant too it was like and you're yeah, just I'm like done. what do you mean yeah. yeah I'm like aren't you gonna like if you're sick aren't you gonna get better and then go back to work so he I might to me it was just like oh you're this is a massive betrayal not only to me but our whole family and mom was already working you know a ton to try and kind of make up the difference and yeah and mom I think, can't work more she's already working too much no no and there's still a lot of details around that situation that I don't know because there's just so much fresh trauma around it for my mom that oh. I just have I'm just I'll ask later <laughs> yeah give her some space around that because makes sense I think a lot there was a lot of denial on her part mm-hmm. a lot of denial on her part um which made me more angry towards her was the denial kind of like just like that enabling behavior absolutely like, okay. yeah I mean he would call to her from the living room mm. like we lived in like 1100 square foot house you're like get up and there's get an open yourself. hallway yeah exactly like yeah. he would call and and I, there were so many times where the way he spoke to her the way he treated her everything kind of changed when he entered into that place of like giving up depression anxiety suicidal thoughts like he really moved into that and i was protected from that a lot um and by, by your mom yeah yeah for sure mm-hmm. and when I left to go to college it it became a lot more of an open conversation and then my brother got the brunt of that because he lived at home still oh and oh. so there's a lot around just some really awful language that my dad used and and it was always just self-loathing and self-pity he and was just depression. so depressed oh he was and he you know it's it, it took me going to school in nutrition to literally understand what happens in the brain when you have this huge hormone shift in insulin sensitivity and pancreatic health and all of this to see that the emotional component was also tied to the physical component completely um, and yeah you can't it can't be separated nope but I had so much wrapped into being angry at him yeah that when I went through my nutrition program and learned about you know like how we're supposed to be eating to kind of be living and feeling our best and what happens to the brain when we kind of dissent from that in a long term and then when we have an acute issue that shows up like diabetes and I there was just so much relief and release from that program in general Right. And, you know, the day I stood up and like my nutrition program was absolutely incredible I went through the NTA Nutritional Therapy Association okay. um, and became a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. But it's a private, non-accredited, like holistic. Yeah. Holy shit. If it was accredited, it would be a lot of hours. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's, it's an incredible program, but it's all based in kind of ancestral nutrition. And oh, um, it sounds amazing. 
bio-individuality. Like everybody's got the thing that kind of works for them Mm -hmm. at any particular given time because it's going to change. Right. And just leaning into kind of intuition and getting back to like what are the building blocks of health and how can we simplify this and cook, cook for ourselves and nourish ourselves. And anyways, so the first day, of course, is like this beautiful like, why are you here? Oh, we stood up in class and and I just was like, I lost my dad mm. and I need to know why and how to prevent it myself and how to help other people from going through this loss. And yeah. so like basically when I was 14 um, or 13, I got my first job. I had to like have my mom sign off on it because I was like under the 14 year old range or whatever. I think you still have to have a parent yeah. sign off. Where were you working? Um, a little cafe called the Flying Frog Cafe. Mm-hmm. It was in Welch's. Yeah. It's my first restaurant job. Um, and then proceeded to work in the restaurant industry for like 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I started working and that was kind of born out of my mom saying, hey, like you have really expensive taste. Mm-hmm. If you want these things, like you're going to have to work for them because I can't do this by myself. Right. And this was after my dad had stopped working. And so things were even more not doable. Yeah. And, you know, she just didn't sugarcoat it for me. She was like, Hey, like if you want to live this kind of lifestyle that you're going toward, like, cool, do you, but you're going to have to pay for it because I can't. Right. Um, And these things are not necessities. Like I will provide the necessities for you and a little bit more. Right. And so I just stepped into the space of being like, basically like f you dad like you're not showing up for this whole family like to me you're just this blob that sits on the corner and i'm just gonna distance myself from you completely because all you're gonna do is hurt me yeah and he did i mean that's all he did in the last several years of his life we had very few like really happy moments and even then that was just like so fleeting that's so um and every every accomplishment was brought with like condescension like um, he would be condescending yes. when good things would happen for yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. It would be like, oh, congratulations, but like, okay. Ew, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just so much anger. So for much him. anger. And so much, uh, the depression just really took over. And probably jealousy because he's like, yeah. in ways, because he couldn't, he just couldn't get his shit together. Yep. Yeah. So um, I just kind of was like, I'm going to just like wash my hands of this whole thing. Yeah, for sure. And pretty much spent from like 14 to 18 creating paths for me to get out right get out of brightwood get out of that house off this mountain get off of this mountain (laughs) yeah and i didn't go far for college i went to linfield which is out in mcmanville still in oregon but far enough away that like an hour and a half drive was not super doable for my family no drive was super doable for my family Mm -hmm. because of gas money and distance and taking time off of work and whatever it was right um and I, I feel, I look back and I, I feel badly for not being really there for my mom during those years, but I had to, I had to separate. You did. I had to. And you had to protect yourself. Uh-huh. And it was a big act of protection to step out. And so I, I worked like. Worked pretty, your tits off. Pretty much full time while I was in high school. Wow. And loved making money. Mm-hmm. Loved the independence. You're like, nothing has changed. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I, I have always been like I had to emotionally distance myself but financially I was able to help right so I took on my car payment I took on my not car payment my insurance payment for car insurance and um my phone bill and stuff like that and you know I was one of the very few like kids who had like a cell phone 
in what 2000 yeah 1999 right definitely had a cell phone in 1999 totally. which is crazy that is so weird <laughs> but it was it was an independence thing yeah and you know i was making some risky behavior moves hanging out with the wrong kids and staying out super late going to concerts in portland at the age of like 14 15 riding the max way past the time that a 14 year old should be on public transit in our area specifically um and my mom just let me wow what do you think that was you think she was just that she could not control me yeah i was like go ahead and try you were not a force to be reckoned with Mm. i was like don't even try i just stopped i stopped listening and it wasn't out of like a lack of respect it was like i was i was crying out for boundaries you needed them you wanted them i didn't get them yeah i didn't get a lot of parenting in that four or five years and do you think that that was like i mean your mom was so focused on bringing in money for the family she was just trying to make it all but you know what she was still an incredible mother like and nurturing and yeah and you you know i i probably got to a point with my my studies and everything where it was probably a bit above what she could do. I was in like all advanced classes. I was getting, I was going to the like community college and doing extra coursework there. Like I graduated high school with like an entire semester of credits. That's crazy. And, and it's not that crazy now because that structure exists in so many high schools now. Right. But I took every opportunity and to grow and get just out, get, to out. get out it wasn't even about growth for me it was just about getting out wow. and then it became about growth later I think yeah for um, sure and so yeah she was still very nurturing but I rejected the nurturing yeah it was like don't try to help me right. don't do that for me I don't need you and this is really like deeply ingrained if you go back to like I'm just gonna keep going back to the Enneagram all day every no, it's day it's wonderful <laughs> I'm excited um, to talk about it more one of the things that happens with um eights and and the truck kind of they call it like the childhood wound yeah of an eight yeah is um being blindsided Mm. and that was that day that my dad told me he was done working or told the family or whatever it's kind of like the rug getting pulled out from under you absolutely yeah yeah and 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 then the protective mechanism from then on is i will never be blindsided again and the way i'm never gonna do that is to never let anyone to be fully independent like sealed up almost yeah though. like 100 percent. yeah that makes so yeah, much yeah and sense. as far as like vulnerability goes they yeah. um one of my one of my good friends dallas who is an enneagram eight as well mm-hmm. he's a challenger and an intense person god i love him so much um he's one of the people who's actually made me feel understood for a long time and we both kind of didn't really know why oh. and then learned about the enneagram and we're like oh we got the same like same kind wounds. of essence yeah same wounds yeah um and so he kind of just leaned into this like concept with me and explaining through like vulnerability for for someone who struggles with that I wouldn't even say just like any gram eights it's you know if you if you keep your like friend group pretty small um and very few people actually know you right. like really know you you have you know, maybe a village with like a wall. Yeah. And some people who struggle with vulnerability let people in that wall. And inside the wall, there's like, there's a village and there's a castle and there's like a moat and there's a tower. And like the people who are in those walls can have access to all of it. And then some people who struggle with vulnerability or who are eights, um, you know, the vulnerability, like the, they let people in um, outside 
of the fortress, but the fortress is locked down. And then some people it's like the tower is locked down. Wow. And so for me, it was like the highest echelon of that. It was, you know, I have had always struggled with being friends with women in general, just because I feel being misunderstood. Yeah. And it wasn't until I became like an entrepreneur that I found my people mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, other people go hard too. Yeah. Like want to have big things. And, yeah. You know, I was always told growing up that the big things I wanted were too big, mm. too much. You're too much. Like that's a big one for you all yeah. the time. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I kind of entered into the space at the age of like t- 28, 27, mm. 28, 29, somewhere in there, the last five years, six years, basically. Right. Where I was like, Oh, I can be, myself and be accepted and be surrounded by other people who get it yeah and who love and appreciate you for it yeah and growing up in a small town that was hard to do yeah because you know pretty much anyone like who grew up with us Mm -hmm. stayed here yeah a lot of people did a lot of people did Mm -hmm. and the people who didn't stay here you know some I connected with and some I didn't but it was just kind of this this evolution of basically like throwing those walls up and being like hey I'm gonna do it all myself I don't need you I don't need anybody mm-hmm. which I even still did with Josh I mean right. we, the first few years that we dated like he thought we were a lot closer than we were you're like he no, didn't know no, anything no, 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 about no. <laughs> the deepest depths of me yeah um until after we got married or like right before we kind I kind of had like a coming to Jesus moment with him where I was like hey if you're gonna marry me you should probably know these things oh yeah what did he what was that like just like sharing. oh he was just like okay yeah some of it he was like I know (laughs) yeah things that you were just like horrified to share with him or Mm -hmm. something and he's just like honey it's fine yeah or like I you know here's how I see you oh and um so it's it's been many years of just not really letting anybody in yeah or letting people think that I'm letting them in and yeah not actually oh right um and that's just all driven by that being blindsided and and being terrified that it's going to happen again. It makes so much sense. And it has happened again. Yeah, like it has I know. it has happened with friends, it's happened with um other relationships and so it's hard not to be like, "Oh, well, this is what happens." Yeah. Absolutely. So, I, I choose my people very wisely now. Yeah, and it's <laughs> and it's important, you know, I was talking to one of my best friends, Courtney. She was on episode 1 and we were just talking about how like Yes, we need to, kind of like what Brene Brown says of like, we need to, people need to earn our story, Mm. you know? And it's just that idea of like, we have had really hurtful, every human has had hurtful things happen. And it's like, when we are healing and in the process of healing, we need to be really selective with who we share that with. And it's not like being, not being vulnerable or like hiding or withholding, but it's like, no, I love myself enough to be selective with the people that get to hear me. And because I, I deserve love and care. Well, and I would argue that's not just during periods of healing or you're yeah. healing your whole life forever. I don't think you're ever, you're healed. never healed. Yeah. You never yeah, arrive. It's like arriving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so that's something that should be employed always, not just when you're on this path of absolutely of healing. Um, one of the, I mean, I, right when I met you, so I met Cassie at a yoga class that I was auditioning to take over. I was going to be teaching this class and she was one of the students in there and you like walked up to me afterwards and with one of your friends and 
I remember just instantly feeling like so like taken in by you like you just made me feel like so just like welcomed and like held and so cozy but it's like it's just been such a gift to like meet you and be in this space of like it's just interesting to hear your story of saying like it's hard for you to like let people in because that wasn't my Mm. first I didn't feel that right away I was like oh my god she just wants me in like here I am I've I I got her or whatever, you know, so it's just been like interesting. Well, this is the thing where you think you're in, but you're not. (laughs) I know (laughs) you are, but it's it's also, um, you know, I, one of the things that, that intense people tend to do is meet you with intensity immediately. Yeah. Because it's a, this is just, and, and you think, wow, this person's really intense. Like, this is probably just a very intense moment for them or whatever it is. And then you realize that that intense moment was just like, just a tiny little blip on the the spectrum of what's possible. Um, And again, not in like a a drama sense, but in a, like, I love like hard, fast, like, yeah, it's go time. I'm always not hustling, but in, and that's been something I've had to train myself out of. Yeah, for sure. But um, I'm just someone who wants more and I'm always going to be seeking more and I'm always going to be seeking people who want that same thing. Absolutely. And so when I meet another person who in this kind of rare environment that we're in still living near Mount Hood and yeah. in this kind of slower community that doesn't really support the bigness yeah. quite yet. Like right. we're going to have to create it. So we're that bringing the bigness. We're bringing the bigness, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um. So first of all, like, of course it's easy to spot that in other people yeah. when, you, when you have it. I know that's what happened and, in the class. And, and like the way, the way that you spoke, <laughs> it's really funny. You know, it was very easy for me to be like, Oh, homegirl's different because <laughs> when we, I mean, in a yoga class in Sandy, like this is the thing, like it's, you know, kind of a standard yoga class. Yeah. Like you're not, there's not a lot of depth happening there. Right. And even when you have like fantastic instructors, there's just, you know, when you aren't someone who's just going deep and going big for like the really juicy stuff, right? it's coming from a place where maybe that teacher is not doing or having the resources, frankly, or knowing where to look for, you know, extra places of personal and professional growth. Right. And the moment you opened your mouth, I was like, okay, she's going for some serious growth here. Because we started, you started talking about like envisioning and meditating on concepts and reconnecting with yourself. And also that was like, what, January? Yeah. It was almost a year ago. Which was right when I was cracked wide open. Goosebumps. And this is one of the things that I have always kind of looked at and said, because I've struggled so much with friendships Mm -hmm. and letting the wrong people in. Yeah, for real. Seriously letting the wrong people in. Um, And for like 20 years, 15 years, like way too long. Yeah. And it all, the only time I ever let people in is when I'm cracked wide open. And there have only been a few times where that was the case. And for me, there was like a deep period of that during like high school with all this trauma around my dad um, around the age of like 26 or 27 when my marriage was falling apart. Mm. And then again, when like I stepped into this place of like deep personal growth and trying to right. come out of this 
terrible season of burnout yeah where I just drove myself into the ground and I was like you just get to a place in business in general where you have to grow personally in order to be able to step into a higher space professionally yeah to up level and you know we always say like you know you want to go hard you have to learn how to rest hard yeah and that has been a very difficult process for me because I love intensity so I'm trying to look at rest with like I'm yeah. going to intensely rest. I'm going to rest so hard. It's going to be the I'm hardest gonna, rest. It's going to be the I've... hardest rest ever. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, um, you know, meeting you, I it just like, I'm just, I'm a gut instinct person. Yeah. And I'm right about people. So the fact that like I've had these difficult friendships yeah. is so, it's, that's another like area of like being blindsided. Cause I'm like, oh no, my gut's wrong. Cause I trusted you oh, and you proved me wrong. I know. And I'm not, I'm not wrong yeah. very often. Like yeah. it's, it's going to sound so egotistical. No, it's amazing. But it's, <laughs> I listened to a podcast relatively recently that was like th- two Enneagram eights, a, a, a woman and a man having a conversation, being interviewed. It was on Annie F. Downs podcast. She did this series on the Ennea summer is what she called it. And so it was just these conversations. Um, yeah. And she would kind of ask the questions of these two Enneagram types that are yeah. talking to each other. And so there's one for every type. Oh, I want to listen. We'll link it in the show notes. It's so good. And in that conversation, <laughs> which I totally connected with the guy yeah. more, which was hilarious. But he basically said, like, you know, we 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 think we're right because we always are. Like, yeah. We just always are right. Right. And we're very very rarely wrong we can be wrong in our delivery <laughs> we yeah. can be wrong in our communication we can be wrong in our how we got to that thought but what you know is but correct. what we know is correct <laughs> and so like I'm yeah. just someone who really trusts my gut and my intuition yeah and I it turns out like I've always just been like a gut instinct person and make mm. moves in my life according to like oh this feels right right um it's but, always very calculated mm-hmm. don't let me like don't get me wrong it's always very calculated but with you, I was literally like, my gut was like, yep, let this person in. Like, yeah. And do it, it. it was actually perfect because I'm a seven, which is the enthusiast. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you guess that? Did you guess that I was a seven? I gave you like three numbers. It was like a seven and then a three. I said a three, a seven or an eight. Okay. Three, seven or eight. And um, that's like what I've, and I don't know a ton about the Enneagram yet, but I'm excited to learn more. But like with I, what I've known about myself is I meet people. So if someone comes at me intense and excited, I'm fucking excited. <laughs> but if like someone comes at me like kind of low and weird or they're acting awk, like I'm instantly kind of just like, oh, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. So I met, it was so great to meet you because you walked up and I was just like, oh yes, hello. You know? And I just, I thought that was really sweet. I think one thing that's so important to me is that other people know exactly where they stand with me. Yeah. Like I'm not going to, I don't pussyfoot around with that stuff. No. If if I have an issue, like if you, if I have a problem with you, yeah, you will know. Right. Cause I will directly tell you there's a problem. Right. I love that um, about you. And, and not that I have a lot of relationships that kind of exude that, but I, it's, and, but there've been a few where I had those difficult friendships. I keep referring back to that, but I, where I didn't voice yeah and I almost didn't even know that that I there was something wrong there that I was that I was angry about something or frustrated with something Mm because I just like bottled that shit up and didn't didn't deal with it but with I've learned you know just probably again over the last like five or six years in that space of of personally developing and becoming a business owner and I get to choose 
who's in my life. Absolutely. And so I get to just be out there and say, hey, like, this is where you stand with me. And yeah. if I really want to spend time with someone, mm-hmm. they know it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> exactly. And it's it's just so important. And like, I feel like I'm in that season two of I literally have zero time for like anyone that does not feel a hundred for yeah. me. And it's, I, I'm just so grateful for like the close friendships that I have. Like there's not an ounce of holding back mm-hmm. even, even in the moments where like if something comes up or there's a trigger moment or like we do something that pisses each other off or whatever, it's like speaking truth to it, yeah. speak it, grow from it. And it feels so good. Yeah. Well, and I've learned from not speaking it yeah. that you have to like yeah. it's just I think the other piece of it too for me and I I wish everybody would operate I don't understand why everybody doesn't operate this way like mm. two things just pick up where you left off yeah and assume the best intentions of the other person yeah that's like, a hard does, one for me why sometimes. does everyone have to take everything so fucking personally yeah it's not nine times out of ten it's not about you yeah and it never was because guess what they have their own type yeah childhood shit whatever how they deal with relationships and so i think for me i just never want anyone else to wonder Mm -hmm. whether like we're good or not right because for me if i ever have a moment where i like wonder if we're good or not like I'm going to I'm going to really marinate on that and think about the 10,000 things that I could have said wrong, did wrong, etc. And then, you know, almost always blame myself for that because 9 times out of 10 I was probably responsible for any bone of contention because I'm the intense person showing up to this situation. Yeah. And the other side of it is hey, you know, just because I'm intense doesn't mean you need to take everything I say super personally. Right. So it's it's just having a direct communicating style just is yeah. for everyone. <laughs> I know. Well, when you're talking about that, it is so easy for me to reflect on like just a recent understanding. Hi pointed this out to me. And this is totally from my childhood trauma of like growing up in a really angry household. Like my stepdad was just so fucking mad all the time. And so I either saw that or I saw like my nurturing mom where she was just like so sweet and kind and like holding my sister and I. And so because of that childhood upbringing, if I'm with someone who doesn't show me like extreme like love and joy instantly, I think that they have malice. So I naturally will lean towards that. I'm like, I because there's no middle for me. And, and so, I'm going to push you. Yeah. And so <laughs> in I in, in a way you have already of like because like my close people that I talk to, we talk pretty regularly like every couple of days and it's like a check-in like hey I love you and words of affirmation for me are like number Mm -hmm. one and so it's actually been really healing to be your friend because we don't talk for a long long time but then I see you and you hug me and I just feel like so loved and I'm like oh like we don't have to talk every day and I'm and I don't want to yeah (laughs) exactly and but I just I guess for people out there who kind of tend to like go in that place of like wonder of like are they mad at me or it's like I get it because it's like I don't have that middle ground I'm having to really retrain myself Mm -hmm. to like know that oh maybe they're just busy or I had to to retrain a lot of relationships yeah to say and this this is especially hard to working in a space where I mean so like with with beauty counter I have a really large team and I have a lot of clients who who I communicate with on a regular basis and so we're texting mm-hmm. we're voxing which is voxer or whatever it's like marco polo it's an app where you can you know throw voice message messages back and forth there's facebook messages and then yeah. there's all sorts of avenues of social media that are more front facing and not just the direct messaging yeah and so there's all of this 
shit going on in every single space and so none of those spaces are sacred for me for friend communication anymore in the sense that everything feels like work because it all is tied to my work and no matter how much I love what I do but I I super like I'm just so in love with it but I have to separate that so for me the friend connection happens like this yeah for sure it's in person yeah and there have been so many times where I I have super close friends where I just don't get back to their text messages yeah (laughs) and I because the phone feels like work the phone feels like work and and I I don't I don't love I don't love them any less because I haven't texted them back it literally has nothing to do with them at all yeah um and so it's been kind of this interesting retraining for me and communication so now when I meet someone new I'm like hey if I don't text you back like just text me again it's not it's fine yeah you said that to me early on early yeah Yeah. because it was something I had just figured out like this is a communication thing and I've stopped saying something like I'm bad at returning text messages just change the language I just change the language I'm like hey this is how I operate phone like computer it's all work to me now Mm -hmm. and so I want to get together with you I want to see you in person I want to talk to you like all of this stuff I still want that if I don't get back to you please don't take it personally has nothing to do with you it literally is me like avoiding my phone because I have 17,000 messages that I need to get back to and so part of that is creating a workflow that allows me to return messages more often um but also setting other people up with those expectations of like hey don't take this personally it actually has nothing to do with you and there's just such a sense of relief around that i think for a lot of other people too because everybody forgets to return text messages yeah it just happens yeah you read it and then it's read and then you can't mark it unread which by the way whoever comes up with some way to mark a text message unread you're a genius yeah and does yours say read when you do you have it set up that way so people can see when you read it no oh okay. oh hell no I know I was like I thought you did and I was like ew take that off no no I hate that I do too I'm it's, like you don't need to know no it's none of your business <laughs> <laughs> this is why I, I don't and so part of the effort that I've tried to make is to not look at a message until I know I'm able to actually respond to especially it especially right Instagram then. like in which DMs. sometimes for a text is like two weeks by yeah. the way yeah which you've experienced yeah for sure and so it's hard I only cried a little bit (laughs) no I'm just kidding (laughs) it's hard it's hard to trans it's hard to communicate that and have people receive that well yeah in a world where maybe their phone and their it's not part of their work it's there's a kind of a divide there right um and then also just like work styles and personality styles and stuff like that that can kind of be contentious when it comes to kind of delivering that information but I've just learned a lot about setting boundaries for myself. Yeah. And you're so good at that. It's really inspiring. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I try. Yeah. How is, um, I wanted to ask one more thing about your family before moving on to some wrap up questions, but how's your relationship like with your mom right now? So much better now. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, so I had my son back in 2015 and when he was born, we were actually going through a really difficult time financially. And my mom was in a place where she actually was able to, um, kind of, she was kind of forced to retire a little bit. Um, and her job description kind of changed and she was managing a property that got purchased. And so they weren't going to be renting it out. So they didn't need a property manager anymore. Okay. And so she was kind of phased out of that job a couple of years after my son was born And so she kind of had this opening in time 
And when, when my son was born, like that's another point at which my heart cracked wide open. Mm. And I had tried, I have, I've always had a hard time maintaining relationships where it takes a lot of phone time or there's a lot of distance there. And when my dad was at his sickest, I lived in Colorado, I went to grad school in Colorado And so I, I probably talked to my family like maybe once a month or once every few weeks. And I felt so much guilt. I felt so much guilt around it. And even then when we talked, they weren't really doing anything. So there was nothing to talk about. Just like boring kind of. When it was just like I updated them on me and then I would get guilted because I didn't come home or I I didn't, I didn't call. or family guilt. Fucking A. Uh, I just, I mean, and that's another boundary I had to set up. I was like, stop making me feel guilty about yeah, stuff. And that didn't sure. happen until far after my dad passed. Um, and my dad passed in 2012. So that was like kind of in the mix of all of this. My son was born a few years later. Yeah. So after my dad passed, I was, we were living back in Oregon and mm-hmm. in the area actually. And so I started to get closer with my mom after that. Um, because she kind of had space after this burden was lifted. Mm-hmm. And so we essentially got to a place where we started talking about just life and things in general. I kind of got her through that like career and life transition where she felt really obsolete and having to be kind of forced to retire. And she was able to tap into my dad's um, social security right? because he had passed. And so she was able to get that early and so she was kind of in a space where she was like emotionally and financially able to help us with childcare. Mm, and bless. that, <laughs> well, and this was another situation where I just like was cracked wide open and had to be vulnerable because we needed help. Like I was flailing yeah, for as a sure. new mom, just trying to keep my shit together, being a business owner. Like it was really, it was so hard. I feel like we're still recovering from yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's only, I mean, it's only been a, a few years. And so she kind of came in at this time where we really needed her and has mm. since been like, I don't know what I would fucking do without my mom. How healing for her to come in and help in that way. And like allowing her to nurture. Yes. And she totally does. I mean, she takes care of us. Yeah, like, she does. She comes in and does my lawn. I mean, this is, so, it sounds so, um, like trivial but it's yeah. she comes in and, and does, like watches my son three days a week or and cleans up the kitchen and she just cleans does, up my kitchen she yeah. does our laundry she <laughs> texted me earlier and was like hey do you want me to throw your kitchen rug in the wash and I was like oh, oh, please oh love God. her she thinks of things that we don't have the capacity to think of yeah and don't um, you realize like like even waters my plants yeah. like she cares for the things I'm trying to care for that you're trying to she's helping yeah. me care for things yeah and so it was like this real learning of um just leaning in and allowing my mom to take care of you to take care of me and then also coming and being able to kind of take care of her back and I mean like we pay her a full salary now to to be our child care and it's amazing my work has afforded us to be able to do that which is incredible so it's kind of like this really beautiful mutually beneficial relationship that's really supportive and it's really healed us like me having a child and and needing her, you know, every mom wants to feel needed, needed, wanted. Yes. Um, and I had done so much pushing away that when we finally got to a place where like, I, I needed her. Yeah. I really did. Yes. Um, and she got us through that. And I mean, still to this day, I'm just like, I have no idea what I would do without my mom. <laughs> oh, I love that. And I feel so the same. And like you and I both growing up with 
having a disabled parent like that's something we connected over Mm -hmm. and I think we probably both experienced some of that like really hurt spots like with our mom Mm -hmm. like and forgiving mom has been like the most important thing like for me I know that and like being able to forgive and let her in and let her nurture because like you I just had to grow up so fast yeah and it's crazy like with my stepkids like this last summer was like the first time that they really spent time with mom Mm -hmm. and just seeing that it was super healing because she was just swooping in helping taking them to the movies like doing these things and it felt really good yeah it was just like letting her letting her in so I can totally relate to that and I I didn't really let her mother me initially I let her kind of mother on grandmother on my son yeah but you know after a while I just like I just had to lean into it and just let her let her in and let her help and forgive a lot of the anger I felt around her enabling and her sugarcoating things when we didn't know how sick he was. Yeah. I mean, there were several times where he was in the hospital when we lived in Colorado and we didn't find out till weeks later. Oh, I can relate to this. And I was like, fucking tell me. Well, and it's, well, it was always you know, you're so busy. I know. You're trying to go to school. Uh, we just didn't want to be a burden. And I'm like, fuck you. That's my choice. Yeah. I get to make that choice if I'm going to fly home. Yeah. That's not your choice. That's mine. Exactly. So you better, like, and anyone, I don't, um, <laughs> eights love to, like, be in control. Yeah. And I love to be in control. Favorite thing. Favorite, favorite thing. Being in control. (laughs) Um, Or like losing control in like the best way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, But I, um, you know, they always say like eights don't want to control other people. They just don't want to be controlled. Right. And like that guilting that there's so much anger there that you're right. Like it was such a huge process of just like softening myself to her and being able to forgive mm-hmm. um and and allow her to forgive me and yeah. let her see the softer side where I'm not just being an asshole about her being a smoker <laughs> like, yeah or yeah. or enabling my dad or whatever and right um you know letting go of guilt that she felt around that being her fault because yeah. she blames my dad's disease and death on herself a wow. lot um whether she's she'll say it or not so yeah it's when we can look at our parents as humans Ugh. and also looking at I mean when I started doing my own like shadow work and inner mm-hmm. child work that's when I really started to learn so much more about just love and compassion for my mom and forgiveness you know it's yeah. like they're operating from their own inner child wounds and doing the best they can yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to say but it's like they're just doing their very best we're all just doing our best you yeah. know I don't think it was until I went into that nutrition program that I really saw the humanity of my dad because I could yeah. assign a, a reason for him kind of, you know, essentially like spiraling out and deteriorating the way that he did both, you know, physically and mentally. Yeah. And so it was kind of a process since then. That was like 2014 that I went through that program, like two years after he passed. Damn. And uh, yeah. Yeah amazing it's a lot it's a lot yeah and you're i feel like we could fill up at least 10 episodes i know (laughs) we're gonna do a bunch i do want to ask you a few kind of like wrap-up questions um what's your biggest struggle right now oh my biggest struggle right now um 
making time to care for myself Mm. and trusting myself that I'm going to follow through on that too. Right. And caring for myself can be like getting to the gym. It can be those things, you know, getting to the gym and drinking the water and (laughs) all those things, just really basic human needs. Like recognizing that I have basic human needs. Yeah. For sure. Tending to them. (laughs) Yeah. Because I will, I just like ignore them. It's easy. Well, I ignore, I put everything and everyone ahead, even though I'm a pretty like independent. And at times I've definitely been like a selfish person, probably out of survival. But now my survival is like, get the things done yeah and so just leaning hard too hard into work and letting that kind of define myself define my time yeah and it sounds like you've been looking at that just like with yeah hitting burnout and just being like I literally have to sleep yeah I literally need to binge watch Netflix for a day yeah it's okay and now and then the next work is not just doing the action but not feeling guilty about it yeah during and after for sure just being with it um what are you most proud of what am I most proud of yeah, of who you are and where you're at. I think I'm most proud of making a, a kind, really awesome little human. Mm. I never thought, like, I, I don't think of motherhood as something that, like, defines me. Yeah. Um, it's just part of who I am, but mm-hmm. it's just made me the best version that I could be yeah. of myself as far as, like, my emotional well-being. And, again, he's this tiny little thing that just, like, cracked me wide open. Gosh. And I'm so... Like I having to let go of that inner child so young mm-hmm. and leaning into being this like serious, driven, powerful person. And with him, I don't have to be. Mm, and so, so I'm not. And my husband so many times has said something like, you know, I thought you were going to be the like more disciplinary parent. I thought you were going to be like the hard and he's the you know harder in the sense where he just like consistency is really important to him with discipline but i just like i'm like a blob with that kid i'm like what do you want you want to snuggle for five hours come on like let's go and he's such a little snuggle bug he's so so he's like this last year of like leaning into rest Mm -hmm. and really embracing that has been such a beautiful thing and he's just such a like he's so kind and sweet and considerate and smart and and introspective. He's so soft. Like the kid wants to cuddle for like two hours every morning. Oh, I love that. And he's just like, it's like visceral. Like I need touch. The videos you share of him on your Instagram make me have the worst baby fever I've ever had. It was like serious pain in your ovaries. It makes me want to have another child. I know. I'm not ready yet. Are you going to have another child? That's such a good question. Oh Um, my gosh. Yes. yes. Ooh, yeah. It makes I mean, me excited. But I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not un- thinking about I'm it. unwilling to assign, I'm pretty definite on yes, but I'm not willing to assign a time or a, you know, a how or a when. For sure. I love it. I don't know. Um, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, that's such a good question. Damn it, you. Hmm. <laughs> I love this question because it can be change, like just mm. changing the fucking world. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Yeah. So much of what I do personally and professionally has to do with like social justice and not just like leveling the playing field, but like just supporting the shit out of the underdog. Love me an underdog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I would say like in its essence, like empowering people to rise 
Like that's mm. what I want to be known for. Like when you enter this world, the world of Cassie, <laughs> like does. you're going to, you're going to get put, I'm going to push you up. You, you're Axel, going up. That is you. That is who you are. And you guys, like, and you might not like it. Yeah. And it might be uncomfortable. Well, cause what you do and what you do for me, I, this podcast wouldn't exist right now. I believe that had we not met because you literally like you make me up level myself because you literally show me like what's possible it's like all those things that I know but I don't Mm. fully believe yet and you're like you like shine this little mirror of like no girl it's time and you do that for people Mm. you make and it it brings me so much joy like when I think about you and your podcast like I just I get like fluttery I'm just like oh my gosh it's so good yeah because that's that's like that's the the juice that's like the essence of what how I want to show up is to just push other people into being their fullest truest most authentic selves mm. um and for me that involves like just that just the little, little lift the, the rise yeah the rise there's this song it's like a total like popular pop song um called like we will rise up and I remember so <laughs> it was like a business conference. I'm, I'm so moved by music. I'm yeah. just really moved by music for sure. Um, because it gets me out of like thinking and mm-hmm. into feeling. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll shoot it to you so you can throw it in the show. Notes, yeah, do it. Is it just so great? Oh, You're just, just like, like, it's empowering. Just, I'm not going to sing, but it's just like, we will rise up. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's so, it's so empowering. Oh, I so love it. Simple. So and simple. That's just what I'm about. Yeah. We're just always rising. Yeah, for sure. Where can people connect with you? On Instagram. Yeah. At Cassie Knable. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of, I'm, you know, we're floating in and out of some other projects. Like my food blog is called The Northwest Kitchen. You can find me at thenorthwestkitchen.com. Mm-hmm. There's um, no recipes on this said food blog. Right? <laughs> You're like, Current, enjoy. It <laughs> depends on when this episode airs, but yeah. Um, that's kind of the place of, of growth that's going to happen over the next year is just leaning into the, like the fun of sharing recipes and food blogging and being in community with people in that way. Mm, Um, mostly on the Instagrams and then actually the best place to connect is probably the podcast. So hi, you're listening. Yeah. You're a podcast listener already Mm -hmm. because you're here and it's rebel heart radio. Rebel heart radio. At Instagram, you're what's your handle? At rebel heart radio for the podcast. And then for me, it's at Cassie Knievel. And we'll link everything in the show notes beautiful but thank you so much for being here thank you for having me love you i feel honored (laughs) bye thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode please don't hesitate to reach out to cassie she would love to hear from you be sure to go listen to her incredible podcast rebel heart radio i have all of her links to where you can connect with her in the show notes um but yes and if you have not rated or reviewed the show my love please do this is what is helping mudlark there's just like this cool trickle trip trickle happening with the show and it's because of you guys it's because of you sharing it's because of you leaving your beautiful reviews i appreciate it so much when you do this so anywho have a lovely day love you so much